Welcome to episode number 20 of Colorado TechCast. The utility of the future is one in which the customer is much more significant and important. We're able to get utilities to have really open conversations with us about their plans and their thought processes and to bring us into some very strategic, high-level, C-suite conversations. And in just about every one of them, there is some acknowledgement of the customer being important. But all of those plans then need to have action. And by us demonstrating that they can do this and showing them their business model in engaging their customer that will generate more revenue and more EBITDA, we can demonstrate that clean energy-related practices services increase grid assets to support clean energy. And it starts with the customers and they're really resonant with that. Hey everyone, Trapper here. Welcome to Colorado TechCast, the show that tells the behind-the-scenes stories of Colorado technology entrepreneurs and the companies that they're building. To hear new episodes of this program, visit our website at coloradotechcast.com. There you'll find everything you need to know to subscribe to the show with links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and everything else we talk about here on the show. Yoav Lurie is the CEO and founder of Simple Energy, the leading provider of marketplaces, instant rebates, and customer engagement software for electric and gas utilities. Simple Energy's software-as-a-service offering drives energy savings, facilitates the sale of energy-saving products and services, and serves as a customer energy action platform for the utility of the future. Before founding Simple Energy, Yoav helped build a Washington, D.C.-based technology services firm, served as a managing director for Teach for America, and acted as national president for a network of free residential summer camps for the children of cancer patients. He has been named one of Inc. Magazine's top 30 under 30 entrepreneurs and an E&Y Entrepreneur of the Year finalist. Yoav talks about his inspiration for building Simple Energy, why you need to tear down your core values when they're no longer relevant, and his vision for a customer-centric utility of the future. Now let's get started. So Yoav, tell me a little bit about how you got started in this industry and what made you uh, start Simple Energy. So the origins of Simple Energy actually start well before the company did. Uh, my co-founder, Justin Siegel, was the very first person I met in college. It was two weeks before school started, and there was a pre-orientation backpacking trip. We spent two, two weeks with a bunch of other incoming freshmen walking around the woods uh, of Western North Carolina, and immediately started talking about starting a company together. Thankfully, we didn't start that company then or even right after school. It was about 10 years after that point that we started Simple Energy, about eight years ago now. And it was with a focus on, first and foremost, building a company that would serve a purpose, be a mission-oriented company. Second, that that mission would have a positive social impact so that we would do well financially for investors. I would describe that in standard terms while doing good as measured by the outcome for our mission, for that purpose. And so that's really where we started. The first thing was we want to do this together. And we had to do a lot of work around, like, could we work together? Could we both get into this at the same time, into starting a thing? And, uh, we still refer back to that original document we wrote. Um, and, and then what, what should we do? And what, we, what we realized was that uh, climate change was a massive problem and led up there with the biggest problems facing humanity, not just for their, its impact on the world, but I, I think, at least from my perspective, most importantly, its impact on, these, on the people who live in the world in terms of famine and disease and hunger and, and mass migration and, all of, and war and all the other things that will come from a rapidly changing climate. And there was something that we could do, and it, it actually 
coincided with another real problem we saw, which was that utilities, electric and gas utilities, primarily in the U.S., really had no understanding or connection to their end customers. And likewise, end customers had no understanding about energy or interest in it at all. We thought that if we could bring those two together and help utilities get on the right side of history, help customers use energy more widely, um, use less of it, change what time of day they use it, use it from cleaner sources, we can make a huge environmental impact and probably in the, in the process make a pretty successful business. And you know, eight years later, I think we're, we're doing those two things in space. Eight years, wow. It's a long time in the startup world. So what were you doing prior to Simple Energy? Uh, before Simple Energy, um, I was working with some folks who had started a company in the Washington, D.C. area. We were consulting and trying to build a uh, software product, uh, mostly for the government space around enterprise collaboration, so think intranet and data sharing uh, within an enterprise. Okay. And so, so I got that experience. We ended up, I left the company and it was subsequently sold. I was doing a little bit of consulting in the interim. And I, and I will say seven and a half years to when we actually started Simple Energy right at the beginning of 2011. Okay. So what brought you to Boulder? Was it Simple Energy or was it, was it something else about Colorado? Yeah, I, I was living in Washington, D.C. and my co-founder went to East High School in Denver. He was living in Denver and working in Boulder when we started the company. And so I was commuting back and forth uh, from D.C. To, to Denver. And we were working out of a co-working space in Denver. And he was really pushing that we should start the company and base it here in Colorado. And I said, if we're going to be in Colorado, I'd really need it to be in Boulder, which was eight years ago. I think a lot of other spots in, in the state have gotten great and really have a lot of the startup energy in them now. But at the time, it was a very clear decision. And that decision came even clearer when we got into Techstars in 2011. Really fortunate to have Tim Enwall, who's the, the founder of Tendril, subsequently became the CEO of Revolve, which he sold to Nest. He's now uh, the CEO of Misty Robotics. And he was our lead mentor in Techstars and was instrumental in, in helping to get us here and get us going in this industry, which is a really kind of closed off industry that has lots of barriers to entry and so he helped us figure out how to navigate our way into it. Um, and Techstars is an incredible launching pad uh, for giving us credibility and clarity and, and a real purpose in, in driving the business side of what we're doing. We were our first couple customers while we were in, in Techstars and via driving real revenue by the end of the program, which then enabled us to also raise capital uh, rather than Techstars, which was really instrumental for us to be able, able to continue to do it, which you know, kind of finalizing the decision that Boulder is the place we would be because that's then where our investors and mentors and stakeholders all work. How long were you a company before you decided to take on or before you decided to uh, go into Techstars? It was, um, it was within, the, within the first three months we, we decided that we were going to go into Techstars. And it was funny, saying that now and realizing how early we were, because at the time we were thinking to ourselves, man, we're, we're so far along. We've got to still figure it out. Uh, and now that I, I mentor at Techstars, we routinely see companies come into Techstars who have millions of dollars in financing or revenue and um, way further ahead than what we were at the time. I think we'd probably, in today's Techstars context, be one of those earlier stage companies. Right. Uh, but we're still trying to figure that out. Okay. Um, so what was the application process like for Techstars? Back in 2011, I mean, it was still... It's probably just starting to heat up, right? Because they yeah. started in, what, 2009, 2008? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure most of your listeners know this, but Techstars is the number one startup accelerator in the world and now has chapters 
all over the world and it runs accelerators with companies and in cities and around different verticals. Um, but back in 2011, it was running, TechStars was running a program in Boulder and a program in New York uh, and a program in Boston. I think Seattle maybe was going up. It was a few, right? So, and, and those handful were, were um, doing one class a year. So this is probably about like the 10th or 12th TechStars class uh, that was out there. And we were fortunate to be selected. Uh, we were you know, refreshing Nicole Gueros's Twitter feed, you know, every couple of minutes to see if she had tweeted out anything about about the program or about uh, the results. And I remember when we uh, we got in, uh, it being this real like euphoric and clarifying moment. Uh, and then, in many ways, that that drove a lot of the rest of the decisions of of the company, and and candidly, you know, my, even my personal life, my. Uh, uh, I, I was I was dating a woman in DC when we when we got into tech stars and, and we continued on and I remember at the end of the program going back and you know telling her that I was going to be moving to to Colorado I had you know every expectation she was going to come with me and she and it was like the first time we'd actually talked about like whether we go get married or anything uh, like whether it's going to be viable long term I was like yeah of course I wasn't going to ask you that unless we were and in many ways tech stars led to that and you know, and now our two amazing children and like it's uh. It's been pretty great. So I think it's safe to say that she was probably supportive of the move out uh, to Colorado, right? <laughs> you know, it, it wasn't without its concerns. Um, my, my wife's work uh, at the time was in international development, and she, she took that job here to, to Boulder and was doing it remotely for a few years uh, before before switching paths herself. And working remotely was, was a challenge, and her field is not well represented in Colorado in the same way that it is in the, the D.C. metro area. After graduating from Techstars, what did you guys do next? We uh, got an office across the street from, from the liquor store, <laughs> down by the creek <laughs> in Boulder, and we, uh, uh, we we wheeled over some of the excess furniture. Techstars was moving their office at the time, so we got some hand-me-down furniture. Went and got some Ikea desks and put them together and hired a few people. Uh, we, had, we had raised about $800,000 or $900,000 in Techstars, and... And so we, we move forward with trying to build the product and to uh, build inroads into customers. Uh, we were running a, our first two programs for customers within about six months of the end of Techstars. And so and those were two of the larger utilities in the United States. So it was great to have initial deployment. But it's really hard in this industry to have an initial deployment, have the results of that uh, deployment be assessed by third parties and then use those results to sell more. So much of what utilities buy is highly regulated, and within the regulation, they have specific requirements about deeming the efficacy of product. And so there's always, for any new product that we roll out even today, a prolonged period at the beginning of them where you have to overcome um, the viability hurdles that you might not face in a different field. So were you selling to companies like Excel Energy or uh, American Electric Power? Who were you trying to get in the door with initially? Absolutely. So we still, our customers since the very beginning has been uh, utilities, typically investor-owned, publicly traded companies like Excel Energy uh, or Exelon Utilities, which you know, ComEd in Chicago, or some municipal and gas, uh, municipal and cooperative utilities. Uh, we work with the utility up in Fort Collins and their regional provider, PRPA, uh, as well as Excel Energy. Are, are some of our customers. But we've always sold to those big energy companies because they have four things that are critical to our success. The first thing they have is the brand. And most people don't 
think about the utility brand being a really popular or a loved brand, and that's true. However, it's uniformly a trusted brand. And so people respond to the utility in the same way they respond to a notice from the IRS. The second is the channel. Utilities have an amazing channel and access to end customers, and that really gets into the fundamental question of distribution, which every startup needs to wrestle with, is how do I get this product out to end users to use it? Uh, and so they solve the distribution problem for us by having massive email and mailing lists that we can tap into to get end users on what the B2B2C platform. The third reason is data. Any other company in the utility space or in the energy space has always struggled not just to get to customers, but once you got them, actually getting access to their energy data uh, so you can provide them meaningful messaging or new products that are relevant to them. By working directly with the utilities, we get access to that data. And the fourth is the budget. We get paid by the utility to deliver a software product to their end customers or to deliver a service to their end customers in some way. So those four reasons, the brand, the data, the channel, and the budget, became these really critical pieces of our strategy that even though it was so hard to go work with utilities, that was something I had to do. Not sure I'd recommend it to anyone else. It's an incredibly challenging process to get into the utility space and to work directly with them. But on the other side, they're amazing customers, which is sort of one of the misnomers. Fundraising was really hard for us in the early days because investors would always tell us, ah, utilities are terrible customers. But they were wrong. They were sort of half wrong. Utilities, it turns out, a really hard prospect. But once they're your customer, they're incredibly loyal, they have massive budgets, they, they have a transfer inertia and they believe in investing in their, in, in their vendors in a way that uh, is really rewarding because they know once they've integrated with you once and done all the compliance and certification checks and, and invested in that relationship, they're going to continue to double down on it and expand it. So, and so that's been our experience. It was incredibly hard to get into these companies to begin with and it took years and years to do it. But once in, they've been incredibly loyal customers, and that's been, that's been core to, to our success. We also fill a gap that, they don't, that they're not currently able to solve for, right? Um, energy usage is not something that's transparent by any means, right? So you've got the technology that allows the consumers to make what more informed decisions about their energy usage? Yeah, so as a company, we motivate and enable people to take energy-wise action, and we help utilities be part of the clean energy future. And when I say motivate enable, we give a customer messaging about their energy usage that's contextual, relevant, and timely. And then we give them an actionable way to go execute on the thing that we're suggesting they do. So, for example, uh, for Excel Energy, we have a, a marketplace, ExcelEnergyStore.com, where you can go get a smart thermostat or energy-efficient light bulb or a smart power strip at a fraction of the price that you would buy that exact same product on Amazon. And we're doing that because we're t by taking the regulated incentive that Excel has had for years. So this is what you'd usually get as a rebate by filling out a form and mailing it in. And we bake that into the purchase price and do all the, the validation on the back end. Uh, this is where a lot of our IP is, is validating that customer on a one-to-one -one basis with the account, writing it back to the utilities back in systems to make sure that that customer doesn't double dip and get a second rebate, um, verifying it, making sure everything is auditable and fraud proof. And then actually giving the customer thermostat, a light bulb, a power strip, something else, maybe something much bigger that uh, has the, the price that's post rebate. So if it's $100 off a Nest thermostat, 
you pay $149 instead of $249 that you would at Amazon, which what that does is it ends up moving the needle by about 10x in terms of the number of customers who would take on these energy-saving products and get incentives for them. So that's what I mean by you give the customer messaging about their uses, textual, relevant, timely, and then in a place where they can go take action by buying a product or a service, whether it's clean energy or a smart device, and then continuing that messaging on in the future. By doing this, we're also then changing the utility. Because now for the first time, the utility is able to see itself as a company that could be engaging its customers in new and different ways. And that has this really positive viral effect where the utility sees this impact they then start to dream about other stuff that they could do. And then they come back to us to say, well, great, we now want to launch a community solar program. Can you help us recruit customers and serve those customers for community solar? Which, as you go further and further down the path, in the energy space, you have an industry that is really facing a lot of critical choices and critical challenges as an industry. And however those challenges get met, the one thing that I firmly believe is the truth is that the customer will be a more essential piece of that future utility state. The utility of the future is one in which the customer is much more significant and important than it has been historically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have a customer who's over 200 years old, and uh, I, I met with their their chief customer officer a couple weeks ago, and as they were launching their program with us, uh, many of their sister companies already had their program. He was so excited because he's like, you know, we've been in business for over 200 years, and this is the first time I get to tell a story that's about more than electrons and natural gas. Like, it's about people. And, and it's because he now has a platform in, like, these products and services and choices that customers can take on that they really allow uh, the utility to share a different story about itself, to position itself differently, to lay the, the foundation and groundwork for a different kind of business that it's going to need to have in the future. And I think most of us are paying attention to this agree that the utility will need to change. Then there are lots of questions about how. So are you guys providing that how? Well, so we are. We're actually fortunate because we're delivering such huge results for people, uh, for, for utilities in terms of customer engagement, the likes of which they've never seen before. We're able to get customers to... I'm sorry, we're able to get utilities to have really open conversations with us about their plans and their thought processes and to bring us into some very strategic, high-level, C-suite conversations at, at our customers, which has been really, really great. So we've gotten to see the model. And they're paying McKinsey and uh, Accenture and all these big consultants millions of dollars to put together these plans. But all of those plans then need to have action, and we have software products that actually make a lot of those plans actionable. And in just about every one of them, there is some acknowledgement of the customer being important. And I think by us demonstrating that they can do this and showing them their business model in engaging their customer that will generate more revenue and more EBITDA. And at the end of the day, it's earnings per share. Like our customers, so many of our customers fundamentally are driven by earnings per share. And if we can demonstrate that new products and services, clean energy-related products and services, uh, increased um, grid assets to support clean energy. These are all parts of the utility of the future business model which start with a better customer experience. And so we can show them that clear pathway of like, there's the future state that drives higher earnings for you. And it starts with the customers and they're really resonant with that. So talk a little bit about their culture. I mean, in hearing you describe it, it sounds like it's very conscientious, very empowering to the customer. What does the overall culture of simple energy look like? 
Yeah, so I will say that over the course of our time, it shifted. Uh, and it shifted most dramatically about three and a half years ago. We had, in many ways, lost our way. We had, about a year and a half before that, we had raised $8 million of new equity and debt, and we spent it before we had revenue to justify it, before we had customers to support products. Uh, our answer to everything was hire more. And in many ways, lost our way and almost killed the company as a result. The biggest reason why, I think, is that we lacked a focus on values. And in the, in the aftermath of that, uh, we, we did a, a layoff that ended up letting go of about two-thirds of the people who worked here, which was really a terrible experience, mostly because we had to let people go who, were, who had done nothing other than do the job in exactly the way they've been asked to do it and showing up every day to do what we asked them to do and to meet all of their commitments. And I had to let them go for things that were my fault mm-hmm. um, in terms of how we manage the company, how we manage the business. And one of the things we realized is that we hadn't stated our values in a way that was clear, explicit, and personally resonant to the founders. And so we took the old values, we tore them off the wall, and literally had giant vinyl stickers that we tore off the wall, leaving pretty big holes in the paint, and stated new values. And we simplified it, we had four of them, and we talk about them with every new hire, talk about them during the hiring process, at every stage of the employee life cycle, and every weekly email that goes out at every all hands we have, we go back to these four core values. And it's been amazing what talking about these four things has done for our culture. Certainly everyone here is already mission-driven, so this is kind of secondary to that mission and the purpose of why we exist as a company. This is about the people who are here, and we live by the four values which then allows us to then focus on the goals in the business itself. Happy to share the values that you told you. Yeah. So how did you come up with the values, first of all? I mean, were these, yeah, so, uh, uh, were these employee suggestions, or did this really tie to the origins of the company? No. We had one the, the old values that didn't resonate as clear with us. Absolutely came from employee suggestions and feedback. We came to a realization that you know, my co-founder and I have been best friends for, at that point, 15 years. And we've been super aligned about just about every major decision we'd ever have to make around the company. And we wanted to harness that. So we said, instead <laughs> taking feedback from everybody else who may or may not be here, we've been here the longest, more likely to be here the longest in the end. So let's just nail values that meet us. And so we worked with uh, another Colorado startup that has since exited and shut down their product, unfortunately, uh, Roundpeg. Uh, they, they focused on values and values fit and values alignment. Uh, they had a software tool that would screen people uh, in the hiring process around values fit. Uh, there were another tech service company that was based here in Boulder, and so we spent a bunch of time with their uh, with their founder, uh, who was a behavioral psychologist, and she uh, she really helped us dig into our personal values, uh, had us take the survey, obviously, but then list out the things that were critically important to us and tease those out, and came back with. Uh, four or five suggestions about the things that they really seem to be the fundamental drivers for me, my co-founder, and then we we took those and then did a lot of work to put names to each of them, slogans to each of them, and lots of text uh, with examples of what the value is, what the value isn't, even to the point where in certain policies we have, we'll actually uh, reference the, the core values as it relates to an individual employee policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in our in our travel policy, we actually anthropomorphize our values and like send them on a business trip together. 
And so like if these four values went on a trip and had to book a hotel room, how would they each approach that task? Like, what does this mean if these values went out together? And, you know, it, it, yeah, which I, which I will grant gets, gets a real quirky. Uh, our annual offsite last year, uh, four members of our leadership squad uh, got together and uh, created a skit in which the values where they each act out a different value. Uh, and, and they announced that that's what it was. People had to sort of guess it along the way. It was pretty hilarious and definitely tough facing. Kind of uh, guess the value. But yeah, and it was, uh, it was, and they were pretty over the top about it. Uh, but it was, and we try to make it a real part of what we do. Mm-hmm. We don't have it. Uh, we don't have them all on t-shirts. We have, we have a couple of them, uh, but uh, we don't have them on big signs around the office. We probably should. But mostly we have them in the one place where it matters, where it's used in every single conversation we have, especially the conversations about employees and employees, kind of the employee life cycle, hire, promote, reassign, fire, the whole life cycle. Right. Values are critical and ever-present part of each of those conversations. Um, you know, I, I still interview every candidate we hire at the company. And I'm always struck that by the time they get to me uh, and I ask them about what they thought about the process, Every one of them says, you know, it's, it's funny. I've talked to every single person about values. And, and I think that means we're, we're probably doing some of it right. So what are those values? Yeah, so we, we got four of them. Um, and, and in no order, so I'll probably give you a little detail on each. The values are hashtag one team, O-N-E-T-E-A-M, all one word. High performance, happy. Communicate actively. And ownership. One team comes from this concept of we're all in it together around uh, a mutual effort, uh, a shared effort and shared purpose around what we're doing. Uh, we, we aim to, to build towards our goals together, not as individual teams. As a result, you probably just heard me a couple minutes ago refer to our leadership group, not as a leadership team, but a leadership squad. We don't have a sales team or an engineering team, a sales squad and an engineering squad. And that's because teams compete against each other in the popular culture and in sports and we are one team. We are all on the same team, not on the same set of goals. The way that manifests itself is like in budgeting, where with the quarter, uh, we reforecast and we budget, and we will routinely have one squad share resources and budget to another squad in a totally ego-free way, without worrying about their individual goals, uh, because they were co- about their collective goals. Sales knows they can't effectively sell. Engineering can't deliver on the product, and product knows that sales needs product marketing in order to do its job effectively. So that's that's all one team. We have high performance happy, which really I think is very evident when you meet the people who work there, which is they're all people who really uh, find so much value in the work itself, hold themselves to very high expectations and also and importantly hold everyone around them to high expectations. We think of ourselves as a team and they are a, a team of folks who are incredibly driven and derive a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction from success. And that's the happy part of it. It's not, not high-performance jerk. It's high-performance happy. Right. And the other thing there is this notion of work-life balance. And we are explicitly not a work-life balance place. Sort of a weird thing in Boulder for me to explicitly say that, but we're not a work-life balance place. Does that mean we don't value the things that happen in our lives outside of the office? Of course not. I couldn't tell you about myself without telling you about my two amazing children and how much we love Boulder and, and the life we live here. But as I derive my own personal satisfaction and like my own personal mission of what drives me and gets me out of bed every day, so much of that is here at, 
off. And so we can talk about personal and professional alignment. And so we try to find this alignment between uh, our own personal outcomes and what we're aiming to do in the world and what we're seeking to achieve with the business. And, and so that's it's one of the guiding things, high performance happens. The last two, ownership and communicate actively. Both refer to kind of how we work here. Communicate actively is uh, about sharing problems before before they become problems and doing so openly and actively. Uh, it's also pretty tactical. We, we try to avoid too many direct messages in Slack, deferring instead to, to channels that can be searched and publicly available. We err on the side of transparency uh, about sharing information, but not just transparency in terms of like putting open our entire financial file, but rather thinking with the user in mind. So in many conversations about our finances or operations, the user is an employee or an investor. And so we have to think very deliberately about how do we give this message in a way is going to make that person fully understand it. And finally, is ownership, which uh, I think it's, you know, I, I love all our values. And I think I live all of our values, but the one that probably indicates whether or not someone will be successful here or not actually comes down to ownership. Because ownership is about not checking boxes. It's about finishing a job uh, or seeking to build a thing, not just with the inputs in mind, but with the outputs and with the end results. So that's what then leads us to build product that actually moves the needle through our customers by making their end customers take action. So we judge our efficacy based on how effectively we're able to get customers to save energy or take energy-wise actions. And based on that, we drive the impact to the environment as well as the reporting out to the customers. Simply being compliant is never enough here. And we have a lot of really tremendous examples, folks walking around this office who have done incredible things well beyond what was required. But they did that because they know that was what would get a better outcome and deliver a better result. Uh, that's ownership, uh, which, which also ends up leading to worrying about input, not output, which leads to unlimited vacation or take what you need vacation policies. That's where that goes. And we try to incorporate the values into most of the decisions around people, whether it's the benefits or personnel. They're, they're, they're a really critical piece. I know that took too long. It's a lot. I would probably end up editing this out or down, but uh, I think they're, they're, they're fundamental to know us. To know mm -hmm. I really like the, um, the concept of squad-based versus team-based. And then nothing in your four silos indicate, or nothing in your four values indicates anything about a silo, right? This is the sales team. This is the marketing team. But it just sounds very collaborative versus, you know, territorial-based, which... I have some knowledge of the uh, utility company from prior experiences, and that's not how they operate at, at all. Uh, I can't speak for Excel Energy, but um, you know, uh, utility is a very old and very regulated industry. You wouldn't find values like these written on on a traditional utility company's wall. That's right. It, outside of a handful of some of the most progressive utilities uh, in the U.S., you're you're willing to find these kind of collaborative structures. Uh, to find at an agile methodology. But I actually think that's a big reason why our customers work with us. And, and, and let's be clear, I also don't know that their structure is bad. In fact, if you were building a power plant and you wanted to do it in agile, I'll tell you, you're crazy. Like power plants have been before, right? You're going to run up costs. You're probably going to hurt somebody. If you would say, hey, we're going to have a totally flat structure at, at a utility, 
uh, I, I say this much because you really do need a safety officer because people can die if someone is not intentionally in charge and there's not a group of people in charge just keeping folks safe mm-hmm. from workplace injuries. And like, in, in their context, the silos or the business they build and the work teams that they have that are focused on that, uh, I think are really critical to them being able to operate well. And the fact that they use waterfall in a lot of the, the structures they, they have, I think, probably makes sense for, or has made sense for the industry for a couple hundred years. Yeah. But what they, what they realize is it's that path and that culture that's not going to take them forward to the next page uh, of what the future of the utility will look like. The future of the utility is one where customers demand more. Their customers have a tremendous number of choices uh, in, every pro- in every category of buying today, right? Whether they're buying a cell phone plan or a new house, TV to live in or new kind of cheese. Right? They can they can choose an infinite number of options and they're expecting the same when it comes to utilities. They're expecting control and rate plans and choices and the utility needs to be able to adapt much more quickly. They can't go through a 10-year cycle to launch a new customer-facing tool. They need to be able to have that tool live within three to six months. And that requires an agile technology and a partner to do that. And so we often have these conversations with utilities that you know, we are changing them. And I think we're changing them just around how they think about development with regard to their customer. If they, if they choose to incorporate some of those other lessons appropriately into some of the rest of what they're doing, that's wonderful and encourage it. But our hope is that we'll really shift their mindset around their customer and around clean and choices and program to be more agile and more flexible. And how our customers say that? I have a customer who came here to our office and said, you know, I, I was expecting that when we started this initiative, the company that would help us get there would be one that had dogs in the office. So I had to come here to Boulder to see for myself to make sure those dogs on your website actually showed up here every day. It was funny to, to, to hear that from a customer. I think that uh, the customers get that. I think some of our customers also I think appreciate that we're a B Corp. And then it's our mission to make them part of the future of the of the industry. So I've, I've heard from customers recently that uh, that the fact that we that, that they believe that that we are a certified B Corp and that we're a public benefit corp in the state of Delaware, as like at, in terms of our corporate form, those are significant reasons why they want to work with us. And that in fact, because our stated mission in our like codifying docs is to help utilities be part of the energy future, they're actually, I think, rightly more confident in what we will do to make sure that they are successful in getting to that future state. So what does the future of, of Simple Energy look like? So we, today, uh, today, Simple Energy serves uh, utilities that cover about 30% of American homes, which is a pretty astounding number for us. Uh, and it's been talk to get here, but it represents a ton of opportunity in terms of our ability to continue to grow and scale within this market. Uh, and to try to enable more and more customers to make energy-wise decisions. It means that we're going to continue working with utilities and trying to change utilities to adopt new energy-saving and energy-change behavior parent software so that they can better integrate, uh, better enable and empower their customers. So that's a, that's a lot to do in just that. I think from a product perspective, today we power uh, an engagement platform they engage customers around energy savings and energy behaviors, as well as providing them tips and recommendations. Uh, we also have a marketplace where you can then take action on those tips and recommendations, either by buying a product or a service. Um, that's something like sellenergystore.com here in Colorado. And I think there's more to do down there. It turns out we are the 
number one seller in of rebated controllable devices in the world. It's crazy. Really? Devices that already have, yeah, devices that have a pre-baked rebate, that have a rebate in the product. We sell more of those than Amazon or Home Depot or Lowe's or Best Buy. Yeah, that is crazy. Um, now, you wouldn't know, you wouldn't know because you, you never heard of Simple Energy unless you looked at the kind of further language in the receipt from one of our marketplaces. But today, a lot of the value of those devices that goes out to the market, is not, it's not that it's not, that they're, it's not being captured by us. It's actually not been captured by anyone. So when we send out a controllable thermostat where we help someone get a, um, an electric vehicle charger installed, the vast majority, 99% of the ones that we send out, are never in any kind of program that now allows them to be dynamically controlled to affect their energy usage without the customer having to intervene. And we won, uh, we won a, an award from one of the industry groups recently for a program that we we launched last year uh, that, we, that we piloted and now we're rolling out to more customers where we actually directly enroll the customer into these programs at the time of, time of sale. So when you buy a Nest thermostat from us uh, or an EcoD thermostat, we automatically enroll you into what's called a demand response program. And the way that program works is on the hottest day of the year, when it, we know that energy usage is going to be really tight between 3 p.m. and 7 p.m. So the thermostat automatically, knowing information about your home, cools your home down ahead of that time window. So it's the summer day, let's say, and it's pretty hot, and it'll basically pre-chill your house. Um, and by, by 5 or 10 degrees, and then by the time it gets around to that 3 p.m. window, when your thermostat would, and your air conditioner would really be cranking and you're about to get ready to go home, it shuts itself off mm-hmm. automatically. It saves a tremendous amount of energy. Helping the grid, helping lower costs, saving the utility a bunch of money, uh, meaning that we don't need to turn on another power plant. And then you, the temperature in your house slowly creeps up until the end of that window. And there are a lot of approaches and ways to thermostat providers manage that and software companies can do that control. But what we find is that actually the enrollment into that program and triggering those events, that's actually one of the biggest challenges. That's the human challenge. And that's where we have a core expertise in motivating and enabling customers. But right now, most of those devices that we sell aren't being controlled. And the control of those devices is an incredible opportunity in the market. And when they're worse, you can double and triple down on. So is your software the controllers or the the piece that does the predictive analytics of when you need to chill the house or you know pre-chill the house? No, so um, it's actually neither. Uh, it's not the controller, nor is it the, the mechanism. Most of the thermostats on the market today, they're the best-selling thermostats, uh, they're controllable, actually have most of that intelligence built right into the device. And frankly, we think that's where it should live. So, when, um, so what we do is actually do the part of enrolling the customer and making that device controllable. By getting the customer to agree to be a participant, this is kind of a big ask, right. and it's not something that I would uh, think is appropriate for all people. You know, we uh, if you if you're if you have a medical condition, if you have small children uh, or uh, elderly folks who are going to be home during those hours, this may or may not be the right choice for you. And so, as a result, um, it really does require customers to opt in to their utility taking control 
of their device, you can opt out of any of these events simply by clicking on the thermostat or selecting in the mobile app. But so so the devices are still controlled by by themselves and by onboard software, as well as through a control mechanism by the company. So our interaction is cloud to cloud. And it's our software talking to the manufacturer software. We think they're better capable of programming and controlling our devices than we are. Mm-hmm. And then and then we're able to, to take that next step of enrolling the customer into that program, either at the time of sale or afterwards, and then having that customer uh, participate in those programs, managing messaging around that. That's one of the key parts of uh, our future. Another is getting more into into solar, rooftop and community solar. Uh, as we think about the, the biggest parts of the utility of the future, as, as I think of it, at least, it's going to be around more customer choice, things like weight plan signups, new energy signups, more about clean energy. And so that's community solar, rooftop solar, and solar programs like wind choice and biorenewable energy credits and the like. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, enabling dynamic load management, which means enabling all of these controllable devices to, without taking anything away from the customer experience, help serve the needs of the grid and the environment as a result. So those are the areas we're focused on. Those, those are three areas. So how do I become a, a consumer of, of Simple Energy? Is it buying a Nest thermostat and opting into the load management program? Or is it, as a consumer, what actions can I take? So the first thing you should do is think about your energy usage, whether you become, one of the, uh, become a Simple Energy customer or simply do it on your, on your own. It's something that you should absolutely be doing. But the easiest way for most, for most people listening to this, most, most of the folks listening to this, I can definitely sell energy customers. And if you're an Excel Energy customer, you should go to ExcelEnergyStore.com and look around, find a great deal on a product or service uh, that that will help you save energy in your house or help you better control and manage your energy usage, whether that's a, a discounted energy audit, a Wi-Fi controllable thermostat, a smart power strip, or some light bulbs. And you'll be able to get that product at a fraction of the price you get anywhere else. So now's a good time. To, to go get started on saving energy. And then certainly keep an eye out for offers and incentives from Excel about enrolling in control of that device to even further optimize your usage. Mm-hmm. I'll definitely have to check that out. Yeah, and by the way, if you live up in, uh, if someone lives up in the Fort Collins area, uh, Fort Collins love them, they can go to efficiencyworksstore.com where those utilities uh, serving those municipalities have all gotten together and launched on their own marketplace, efficiencyworksstore.com, where uh, under their shared Efficiency Works brand, uh, where customers can have the same experience if you live up there and you're not an Excel Energy customer. As to, as to the saver switch that was installed by Excel years ago, um, I think that Excel and the, the thermostat providers have come a long way since then. And now, even though that program was really effective in its day, uh, there's now so much more you can do because you can you can control via Wi-Fi directly that thermostat, get real reporting on it in real time, and be able to impact by pre-cooling and pre-heating the home. Uh, so it's a much more comfortable experience for the customer. It's also a much more effective form of load management for the utility and the grid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so final question, if people want to find out more information about Simple Energy, where can they go? People can go to simpleenergy.com or us at uh, Twitter, Simple Energy. I'm um, Twitter, Yoav Lurie, all in one word. 
check us out there. Uh, but in many ways, the way that most customers will find out about us is without ever actually knowing who we are. They'll get some piece of messaging, an email, a letter in the mail. Uh, they'll see a sign or a billboard on the side of the highway, all of which looks like it's from their utility, but all of which is much better than anything they've ever experienced from their utility. And that's how most people will find out about us without ever knowing our name. But that's not why we're here. Uh, we're here to in, affect this really massive mission and and to do that as, with as big a scale as possible. Because I'm frankly, if no one ever knows about the point energy, but everybody knows about the pretty incredible work that we're powering at places like Excel Energy, a brand they do now, then I'll be pretty happy. We're, we're really committed to, to the mission of building a more sustainable future. And for the reasons I told you about before, we continue to believe that the most effective way to do that is by working through utility and making them part of that future. We'd love it, certainly, if anyone local is interested in working here, so let's go to simpleenergy.com, or if anyone who works through utility wants to chat, uh, always happy to do so. Sounds great. I'm sure you've come a long ways from, from two people back in 2011 in Techstars to where you are today. It's interesting hearing your stories about having to rip down the old values and put up the new values because it didn't really resonate with the company anymore. I think those are definitely interesting stories that people with a, with a startup of two or three people now may not foresee happening in the future, but just being able to be dynamic enough to, uh, to address those needs and address those concerns as they come up is a good lesson to share with the listeners. Honestly, there's the old adage that culture eats strategy for breakfast. Cliche if it is, I don't care. I think uh, our experience has been the only thing that changed uh, in turning around the company from a company that had 15 days of cash left to one that is cash flow positive and has grown 10x in that time frame in terms of revenue and has done so profitably and at massive scale has been a shift in the values. Mm-hmm. We have a very clear A-B test. We did it same strategy. We controlled for strategy that changed <laughs> culture. And thus, food culture ate strategy for breakfast right. in a very incredibly clear way. I think those are really good parting thoughts. Uh, Yoav, I'd like to thank you for coming on Colorado TechCast today. You've got an amazing story, and uh, I can't wait for others to hear the same. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, and thanks for sharing this with your listeners. Thanks for listening to this episode of Colorado TechCast. To hear more episodes of this program, visit our website at coloradotechcast.com. There you'll find everything you need to know to subscribe to the show. We're also on Twitter at COTechCast and love hearing your comments, so keep them coming. I'm Trapper Little, and I'll talk with you soon on the next episode of Colorado TechCast.